strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. Having a lot of fun talking in the studio before we do this segment. Joining me is the president of an organization called ALICA, the Arizona um, Arizona Law Enforcement Canine Association. It's Tony Sanborn. Uh, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having us on. Uh, such an interesting conversation about how you train and what your organization does in training canine officers. Can you explain a little bit about it? Yes, sir. Yeah, so Arizona Law Enforcement Canine Association, part of our mission as a nonprofit here in the state of Arizona is to host training uh, – free of charge to our members, which is approximately, give or take, 200 canine officers from around the state, uh, including some federal and some military. So, you know, we have Luke Air Force Base and a couple other military bases here. So that's what is made, what makes up our membership group. Uh, and then we put three different trainings on per year at this point, that, uh, and we'd like to expand that, that uh, essentially offers free training to all of our officers to make them better. Explain, if you can, I think everybody intellectually knows that having these Canines is an asset to the police department and the officers that are with them. Can you explain a little bit more how big of an asset to an agency these dogs are? Yeah, they're, it's massive. Uh, we, you know, they, they increase efficiency. Number one, that's the thing that that really kind of um, helps them earn their place in law enforcement. Is their the strength of their nose and the way that they work uh, helps us in searching buildings and searching for suspects if they flee from us. Uh, but then, as we were discussing before we came on air, uh, the deterrence factor, uh, the amount of people that surrender just because the dog is present and give up, uh, you know, that's that's a huge factor, and that's they're a de-escalation tool first and foremost. You know, when someone sees that. They usually want to give up and surrender, and if not, then we can use that that tool to help in the apprehension and, and safely take someone into custody. It's got to be an asset for for officers when you can send a dog into a building instead of a bunch of cops in that dangerous situation. It's got to be helpful in that regard too. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, that's uh, that's the dog's number one mission is to make sure that our police officers go home at night, that we go home alive, and you know, in, in some cases, they they pay the ultimate sacrifice. You know, that's part of Alika's mission. We have uh, control over keeping up the uh, Arizona Law Enforcement Memorial down at the state capitol. That's part of our mission, and there's names of dogs on that memorial who, who gave them the, the ultimate sacrifice to keep officers alive. And and officers that the handlers with these, they truly feel and treat these dogs as partners, like you would a partner in a patrol car, right? Uh, of course, yeah. That bond is huge. You know, like uh, we, we tell people all the time, we see them more than we see our own family, because they come home with us, our dogs do, so they're, they're at home with us when we're home, but then we spend that extra 40 hours plus per week at work with them, you know, in the back of our car. We know that officers, uh, probably what, 20 to 30 years is a lot, is the career span of an officer. What's the career span for one of these dogs in, in service? Yeah, God willing, we get them about eight years of service. You know, uh, generally speaking, we'll get a dog at about two years of age and uh, get through a basic training academy with them and then hit the streets. And we can usually get about eight years of work. Right around 10 years old is when we start to take a close look at how they're responding, you know, after a long day of training. How long does it take to get a dog trained to be accepted as a, as a, a working dog for law enforcement? Yeah, there's some variants in there, but uh, for the most part, uh, you can safely bet when you import a dog from Europe or if you get one from our local vendors here, there's some basic foundational training there that you're starting with uh, at that two years of age. And then we take them through approximately about a six to nine week academy just to teach them patrol work. And then we put that detection specialty on them. And that's a whole separate school that depending on if you're doing bomb detection, which is 26 odors, or if you're doing narc detection, which is only three, you know, when you put that uh, detection school on them, uh, it can go anywhere from 
another nine weeks to as much as like 16 weeks to get all those odors imprinted on the dog. Well, this is totally off topic, I think. Maybe not. Um, we know that the uh, way you guys handle drugs as officers has changed with fentanyl and how dangerous it is. Has it changed for the dogs as well? And when they're sniffing around, you don't want them getting infected or affected by the drug. Yeah, you know, that's actually a great question because it's something that we talk about a lot. You know, part of our mission is to bring all of our great intelligent, capable canine handlers together and talk about what are the trends and what are we doing going forward. Fentanyl is a huge topic. Our dogs want to work to source. That's part of their mission is they take that powerful nose and they work it to the source of the odor they've been trained to find. We train them on fentanyl. We're putting, we're asking them to go to source on that odor. So a lot of debate back and forth on whether or not our dogs should be trained on fentanyl or not. It's a huge problem in Arizona. We want to be able to find it and take it off the streets. Uh, but using a dog for that mission can be difficult. So that puts more pressure on the handler to watch closely how his dog's working. Uh, so he doesn't get that exposure because it is deadly. And you guys are so popular when you are when you show up somewhere with that dog, you get so popular. This weekend's event that's happening, what's happening, and what benefit is going to come from this for the public and for your organization? Yeah, for our organization, this is our this is our sole public event. So this is the one we do every year. Uh, this is the 19th annual. We're hosting it at Westworld, so it's going to be October 22nd, 23rd, so Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we're going to open the doors uh, about 8 a.m. each day and finish up around three or four each day. Um, so we, we ask the public to come out, interact with us, meet your canine handlers. We got representation from all around the state coming out to compete. So there is a competition portion that's occurring. Uh, we're proud of our dogs. We work hard to get them where they're at. We like to show them off. So we're going to be on uh, the Equidome grounds where the, the rodeo grounds are, if you're familiar with Westworld. Yep. And that's where the, competi- the competition portion is going to occur. So you're going to see, uh, we, we try to take real life scenarios and kind of encapsulate them in uh, obstacles that are out there. So for Four, five, six stations where the dog's going to demonstrate his ability to, you know, you're going to see the bite work, jumping over obstacles, releasing the bite and coming back. So showing that uh, that strict obedience we have for him. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have the, all the visual components that make it exciting for the crowd. Uh, but the huge thing that we added to it now was the public safety expo component, component which is in the North Hall. Um, that's going to be all of our vendors that sell us police equipment. It's going to be our training uh, partners that are in the private sector. It's going to be uh, all of our specialized equipment and the, the, the officers that use that equipment. All those people are there because we want the public to come out, interact, talk to them, ask questions uh, in a very non-threatening setting uh, where they can find out why we use certain equipment and why do we train a certain way uh, and what improvements are we making to train officers and make them better. That's that's where that part comes in. But it's also going to be fun because we're going to have the trunk or treat happening in that part. So we ask the vendors to bring candy so the kids can dress up in their costumes and uh, get candy while they're walking through and seeing everything. Uh, plus other live demonstrations that we're going to do um, from our other uh, specialty units in law enforcement. Uh, is, there an ex- is there a cost to get in? Yeah, $5 for adults. Uh, children 12 and under are free. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you can go to the website to purchase tickets ahead of time or just purchase right right there at the door. What's the website? Uh, AlikaPoliceK9.com. So A-L-E-C-A Police, P-O-L-I-C-E and then the letter K, number 9.com. And if I go out there, can I get bit? Can you put me in the suit? I bet we can make that happen. Yeah, yeah. I bet we can make that I've done happen. it once. I yeah. did it out of Luke Air Force Base, and I had no idea. Those, <laughs> the Malinois does not look like a very big animal. 
But that know. bite is incredible. Yeah, we joke around, call them like, uh, the, you know, everybody's familiar with the German Shepherd, but, you know, the majority of, of agencies now are running Malinois. Still plenty of great German Shepherds out there, but, yeah, our Malinois are the, the crazy cousin to the German Shepherd. Yeah, they the bring all that power. First yeah. bite hurt, but they didn't get a, he didn't get a really good grip, so they said, you got to do it again. And I said, I don't yeah, want to do it again. Yeah. But it was, that bite force <laughs> is amazing. And I would imagine that bite force is a big deterrent. It is, yeah. So, and if you notice, too, like we, we tell people all the time, for the dog, you know, it may look ferocious for us because, you know, we have these instincts as humans that like, oh, man, that looks like a wolf attacking a human. But uh, for the dog, their tail's going nuts. It's wagging. They're yeah. having a blast. You just became their favorite chew toy is all yeah. it is. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming down and talking about the event. I hope it's a big success. Thanks, Mike. All right. You know what a big supporter I am of law enforcement, and most of you are as well. If you want to do something family friendly, get out there and see these dogs work and see them with their handlers. Get out to the event this weekend, and all the money goes to this organization that provides free instruction for cops who are handlers of canines across the state of Arizona. Great cause and a great event so make sure you do it so again thank you appreciate it all right uh, coming up in a moment we are going to talk about the arizona dreamers that's all coming up right around the corner strong values and strong opinions the mike broomhead show ktar news 92.3 fm and the ktar news app Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the Mike Broomhead Show. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, The Who, are headed to Option Pavilion October 30th with their Who Hits Back Tour. You can win a pair of tickets now by visiting the contest page at KTAR.com. So uh, I want to talk more about the Dreamers. And there's a story at KTAR.com that Griselda Satino wrote. And I hope you'll go and read it because I, I, this is, to me, the biggest example of the failure of an immigration system in America. And I, you can't just blame this administration. This has been a failure for the long time, for a long time, is the plight of the Dreamers. And, and DACA. Um, this was a an executive order, as most people know by now. It was an executive order by President Obama going back now to presidents during his presidency to protect kids who were brought here by their parents and enter the country illegally, but as children who really didn't know any other country as their own except for this one. And now as they become adults, they are limited on what they can do, and they gave them protection to work, but many of them wanted to join the military or law enforcement or get jobs or go to school and do all of these other things, and they were hindered because of their status through no fault of their own. Now, as Americans, we are all frustrated with what's happening at the border, I think. Most of us are very frustrated about the handling of the border with this administration. But I don't think as Americans, at least I'm speaking from my point of view, as an American, you're not going to look these people in the face who are these adults now. You're not going to look these people in the face and tell them, sorry, even though you only know America, you're really from another country, go to that country. We're not going to deport people. And they need to be able to be given relief legally in this country. And it's a big problem. And the reason why I harp on this so much is there there is no permanent protection yet for the DACA recipients. A judge has already said that it's constitutionally, uh, it's unconstitutional. And so there's a challenge here. What is going to be done by our federal government for this group of people? But we have also created the next generation and we've made it bigger and we've made it worse. This is my problem with the illegal immigration problem we have in America. We are creating an underclass. Now, we all disagree. We may disagree on the solution because I do not believe that a blanket amnesty 
for people is the solution. It's not fair to the people that have done it the right way or are waiting to do it the right way. There has got to be a different solution. But speaking specifically of the dreamers, how do you look at people that were raised in America, raised in American schools? They uh, most of them um, consider themselves Americans. They are Americans. By, by all accounts, that's what they are. How do you tell them they're not an American? I don't think that's an American way to be. Parents should be punished, but the children can't be punished for the sins of the parents. So something has to be done. And in this story that Griselda wrote, um, they're frustrated by the inaction of to replace the DACA program, and they should be. The political football, the political hot potato that the dreamers are shouldn't be. There's got to be a solution to this. And there isn't so far. And this, you blame this on both parties. This isn't a one-party issue. But I do believe that border security needs to be a big part of this so that we are not creating the next generation of this. We can have the conversation of how we simplify the immigration system to make it easier for people that want to come here to be Americans or come here to work because there's a difference sometimes. How we can do that in a responsible, reasonable way for people. That's part of the conversation. But none of it matters without border security and it, it people have got to start talking about that and here's why this is another example why before we change topics the headline from the new york times they forgot about us inside the wait for refugee status so the the, the sub headline says as the biden administration prioritizes resettling people fleeing ukraine and afghanistan many other refugees are waiting years in a system struggling to rebuild so um, it, it talks about one person that's here from Somalia and how they've been waiting for status. The other part of the illegal immigration problem here is that we have overwhelmed the system with people that are circumventing and they are taking advantage of our kindness. And there's no other way to put it. You can understand their plight. You can say that these are desperate people. But what's happening is these are people that know or should know that they have no legitimate asylum claim in this country. And yet they also know that coming here and saying it the right way and applying for asylum, they're entitled to a lawyer, they're entitled to a hearing, and they're entitled to be heard on whether or not they deserve asylum. We all also know that the vast majority of these cases are false and the people do not deserve asylum here. The reason why I talk about this now again is we focus on those people and we shouldn't. No offense to them, but we should be focusing on the legitimate asylum seekers who are awaiting extended periods of time because of an overwhelmed system. If you look at those people and, and those of you that disagree with me, what do you say to the legitimate asylum seekers who are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting? We shouldn't have an overwhelmed system. There is nothing fair about the way this is being handled. Not at all. And it needs to be fixed. And I'm, I really am, and I mean this sincerely, I am anxious to see how it gets fixed. Will it get fixed for the dreamers and for the asylum seekers? And so far, we've not seen any relief for anyone. In a moment, uh, a judge sentences what's called he a self-described uh, guerrilla journalist to jail for filming the police. Does it violate his rights? We'll talk about it coming up in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
And thanks for being here during King LASIK's season of savings. LASIK, both eyes, is now just $3,500. That's a $2,000 savings and 0% financing for 24 months on approved credit. LASIK with Dr. King is only $146 a month. Go to kinglasik.com slash Arizona for complete details. So this is an interesting story. We've been talking about officer safety, at least I have for a long time, um, uh, with officers and with people that are experts in this field. There was a bill that was uh, was passed about policing that would have stopped people from videotaping within eight feet of a law enforcement situation. And uh, many people say it's a violation of the First Amendment rights, and it's a big argument. And I say, you know, if you take out the word videotape, just say you cannot be within eight feet of a law enforcement situation. So um, this morning, I don't know what happened. I, I, I suspect it was someone that was was dead. But there were a lot of a lot of police activity this morning um, on the southeast corner. I'm sorry, the northeast corner of 16th Street and Indian School early, early, early this morning, all cut off with police tape. It looked like a crime scene where people were, you know, they were not letting anybody in. Now, there wasn't a crowd gathered, but there was no civilians there. But had there been, should they be allowed to get close enough to videotape or whatever? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Now, I am someone that believes you have a right to videotape. If the cops have a body cam and they're videotaping you, if they have license plate readers out there, which they do have that are collecting data, if all of that stuff is going on, you may not agree with it. But if it is, and we know it is going on, what's good for the goose? I am a huge supporter of law enforcement. But I also believe you have a right. You have a right to videotape. Why wouldn't you? You have a right to defend yourself in a sense to say, listen, if you're going to videotape me with that body camera, I'm going to videotape you. And we all know that people have bad days. Some people are not nice people. I've had bad interactions with officers before myself and when I was younger. But as a profession, you know how I feel about how great law enforcement is, and they are just great people. But there is a difference between exercising your First Amendment right and violating someone's personal space or becoming a hindrance or a danger. So this guy who was a self-described a guerrilla journalist. So he says this about himself. So he takes pride in being a menace like this. He was sentenced to five days in jail in connection with his videotaping of four police incidents and walking into a restricted area in Mesa City Plaza building after being told not to do so. The, uh, this judge also threatened to lock him up for six months if he doesn't cease filming police in Mesa while on probation for three years. Now, I don't know how this is going to stand on appeal and the circumstances may be different for some, but this is a serious issue. We just had a Phoenix police officer that was investigating a shooting get assaulted by somebody in public. This just happened the other day. And, you know, I, I've talked about training and I've not I've never been a police officer, but I've been around a lot of their training because I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed with how they train. You know, the things that you don't necessarily think about that they have to. We become tunnel visioned in an emergency situation. If you're running towards someone, like if you get a call about an emergency in your family, they always tell you to take a deep breath and calm down. And because you get tunnel visioned, you're speeding either towards something or away from something in your car. You get tunnel visioned. Police officers trained to keep your peripheral vision and make sure you're looking around at your surroundings. When you're chasing a suspect on foot, many people get run over because when you're running away or running towards something, you run out in the street, you're not looking for traffic. They're trained to do those kinds of things. They're trained to look around them. But when you're focused on a suspect, when you, when they say going hands-on, when you are trying to take someone into custody, when you are trying to um, 
to to uh, de-escalate a situation and you have to take someone into custody, you are focused on that task. They are laser focused on getting a, a suspect handcuffed, whether they're fighting or not. You want to make sure that it gets done quickly and then the situation is de-escalated. Well, if you are in an, in an interaction, a physical confrontation with a suspect or suspects, you can't be looking around behind you and anybody may have an innocent um, – when I say innocent, I would say legal right. They're videotaping. They want to make sure you're doing your job appropriately or they believe you're not and they want to capture it on film. They have a right to do so. But when you get so close that they have to worry that you might be attacking them, they don't know who you are and they don't know what your intention is. There has to be a buffer. You have to be respectful of everyone. Just because you wear a badge doesn't mean you're not entitled to the same respect that other people are entitled to. And especially when it's a situation where it's become violent. It's for your safety. It's for the officer's safety, for the suspect's safety, and everybody involved. And so this guy's crossed multiple lines, which is why he went to jail. I'm just anxious to see in the climate we're in right now if this sentence is upheld. And I thought this was a fascinating topic because, you, uh, again, if you get pulled over, you should have every right to be able to have your cell phone and videotape everything that officer, trooper or deputy says to you. I absolutely believe that. You know, I've and, and you have they they write things down. In case you go to court. So if you get pulled over, um, you know the standard question. And everybody always thinks it's just a joke. Not a joke, but it's almost like a nuisance. A police officer or trooper or deputy usually will ask you, do you know why I pulled you over? Well, that's not a sarcastic question. They write your answer down. Yeah, I was speeding. Now if you go to court and you try to fight that ticket, the officer was written down on the back of the ticket or whatever it is. He said, the guy said, yeah, I was speeding. Now you're here fighting the ticket. Do you know what the speed limit is on this road? Yeah, it's 65. Well, he knew it was 65. Do you know how fast you were going? Well, when I looked down, I was doing 80. Well, I clocked you at 82. But writes down, you said you were doing 80 in a 65. So they write everything down. They chronicle the interaction. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do the same thing. But what we can't do is take away the respect that's needed when an officer is in a situation where they're focused on a suspect. It puts you in danger. We've seen these things go sideways and wrong. And it puts them in danger. And I don't know why that's not just common sense. It makes sense to me. You know, you see police involved in something. We all... Look, you know, we're all gawkers in that way when there's a police situation going on. But to get so close that you're within eight feet, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, a compelling topic. I'm going to switch gears. And it's a topic we talked a little bit about yesterday because now there is a video out. Can't show you this video either. In Plano, Texas, of an all-age drag show. There are some people saying it was so graphic it, it, was, was, it was child abuse. Well, we're going to talk about this because it wasn't a school setting. It was a public event where families were invited. We'll talk about it next. Straight. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, been a frequent topic lately because of what's going on in schools. Um, now this, I want to be very, very clear. What we're about to talk about did not happen on a school campus. But I tweeted about this because people are outraged because of how graphic this is. Um, I can't even, I don't even know how I could describe the song to you. <laughs> Without getting fined or fired. Um, but it is a raunchy song, and it's a drag queen in public in what they called a family-friendly event. And parents knew what was going to happen, and some of them brought their children anyway. Now, I will say to you, it wouldn't matter to me if this were a uh, somebody that was a, a female as a stripper or a man dressed as a female doing this. It was a bump and grind very suggestive dance with song lyrics that were so raunchy, I can't even begin to uh, describe them. And I'm not overstating this. If you want to go, I'm on Twitter. I am at Broomhead KTAR. And just go watch the video. It's up there. At least a small segment of I retweeted this from someone. Happened in Plano, Texas. Here's why I ask. Yesterday we talked about New York, and I talked specifically about New York. There was a mother who has been uh, had her child taken away, and she was arrested because she allowed her 10-year-old child to get a tattoo on his forearm. And the state of New York may go after the tattoo artist for endangering a child by doing it, even though the mother had given permission. So putting a tattoo on a child is endangering the welfare of a child. So in this video, there's one child for sure that you can see, and she looks to be about three years old. And this person is bumping and grinding to a raunchy song, talking about female genitalia. Now you know what words we're talking about. And I think it's totally inappropriate. But is it illegal? That's the other question, because I put it up on there. I said inappropriate for kids. And I've had people on both sides of the aisle. Some people call it child abuse. Other people say, hey, listen, it's none of my business. If the parents want to do this, that's their choice. I wouldn't do it with my kids. But here's something interesting. Now, there were children there as young. It looked to me like about three years old. A Michigan high school has apologized. A former NFL player who is now a representative for a football uh, uh, league was there doing some recruiting on a high school campus. And, of course, what do you do? How do you recruit football players on a high school campus in the gym when you're doing recruitment? Well, like everybody does, you bring a stripper. So he brought a stripper into the gym. And video of the stripper got out. So the school apologized. They say that they are disappointed and disgusted by what happened. Now, that was on school. This wasn't a school-sanctioned event, but it happened on a school campus. So there is a difference. Was it disgusting that a female stripper was stripping in front of a bunch of high school kids? This is the other part of it. I don't insult people. I don't cast insults at what people do for a living. I'm not casting insults at strippers. I'm not doing any of that. Why would you, as an adult, any other, anyone else, I want you to think about this. If, um, if someone said, I will give you a hundred bucks to strip in front of a bunch of kids, you know you're going to jail. But if it's your job, all of a sudden, why wouldn't this woman be arrested? Why wouldn't this guy in drag be arrested for doing that in front of children? Even if they brought the parents there, the parents brought the child there.
This is what I don't understand. We have these arguments. People call you transphobic, homophobic. It has nothing to do with being afraid of gay people or trans people or drag queens or none of it. What it has to do with are there is there any level of inappropriateness in our society that is actionable? In New York, it's a tattoo. In New York, this woman allowed someone to tattoo her child of 10 years of age. She lost her child. He was put into protective custody. The mother was arrested, and they may arrest the tattoo artist for child endangerment for a tattoo. But now you've got this. Is is and they say, well, this isn't permanent. Well, okay, then let's talk about um, you know uh, hormone therapy. Let's talk about transgender therapy. Let's talk about all of those things. It's just where are we in our society and what's appropriate, what's acceptable as a society. If, 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 and to go even a step further, to be fair, if you walked into a strip club and you saw a guy sitting with his three- or four-year-old son at Bourbon Street or the highlighter – What would you think? Appropriate? Or would you go, huh? You know what? He's the dad, I'm not. These are just valuable questions about what is it? What is it about certain protected segments of our society where rules don't apply? If it's inappropriate, it's inappropriate. And why can't we call it that without being called some kind of phobic? I mean, I hope you'll go and watch the video, and I'm telling you now, if you don't want to be embarrassed, your kids probably know the song, but you don't want to be embarrassed by listening to it in front of your kids. The, the, the language, and I'm not a prude, you know, I'm not at all, but it's inappropriate for kids. If my children, if my children at 10 years old were listening to that song, I would make them change that song in front of me. I would not listen to that song with them there. So, it, you know, take away the fact that it's somebody in drag, which you know, all of a sudden makes you, I don't know, it can't be transphobic because they're not necessarily trans, but you're whatever. Dragphobic. Maybe that's what I am. Maybe we need to add D to the LBGTQD plus community. Um, matter of fact, when I was in high school, I was part of the D plus community. That was my grades for almost every class I took. Uh, it, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. So I just thought I'd put it out there. Check it out on social media. I'd love to get your opinion. What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock, inflation to remain high through the winter. We'll talk about why that's happening and how bad it's going to get.